All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Should your child be denied access to the public school you pay taxes for if they don't wear a mask? Democrats use the military and police as a political prop on the floor of the Virginia General Assembly. And Democrats are shocked, shocked to find out that politics is involved in some of the debates that we have. We're going to be discussing all of this and more on today's Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. So I've been in special session for the last week uh, down at the Virginia General Assembly, and the purpose of that is supposed to be discussing how we spend billions of dollars that the federal government has thrown down to the states. And there's been a debate on, on what's the best way to do that. And so we've, we've gone back and forth, and the Democrats had their proposal, and initially the Democrats said that they would not permit Republicans to submit any sort of budget amendments. Like whatever the governor came down with, whatever the Democrats wanted, that's how the money was going to be spent, deal with it. Right, that, that, was their, that was their initial position. And we fought back against that. We actually offered a different way that Republicans would spend the money. And uh, we actually got some sort of compromise uh, with that. And again, it's still problematic. I'm going to go into that. But the first thing I want to talk about is what happened today in the Virginia General Assembly. And I'm going to get a little bit into the weeds here because I want you to understand the nature of what took place and why it is a bad thing both right now and in the future. So Delegate Dan Helmer, he gets up and he uh, requests what we call a center aisle presentation. And what that is, is when you have a committee or memorial resolution, you come to the center aisle and it's, it's something that we give a lot of reverence to. And generally speaking, I won't even say generally speaking, every single center aisle presentation I have ever seen has been about recognizing or, or honoring someone for their years of service or things that they've done for the community or the commonwealth. And they tend to be very bipartisan. And so sometimes a delegate will actually invite other people to join them in the center aisle along with the people that they are honoring. And in this case, Delegate Dan Helmer said, I have a center aisle presentation. I would like to invite all of the veterans and any law enforcement uh, personnel, former law enforcement personnel to join me center aisle. And so we see the state police in there and we see uh, General Williams, the adjutant general of the, uh, the Virginia National Guard, great guy, all these great people. We like them very much. And so we, we go up there and we're a little bit confused because Delegate Helmer didn't tell any of us on our side of the aisle what this was about. And so we, we get up there and we're standing next to the law enforcement personnel. We're standing next to the uh, Virginia National Guard personnel. And Delegate Helmer proceeds to go into a long um, resolution and diatribe about January 6th and how right-wing extremists tried to take over the Capitol and you know everything else. And, and what this resolution was for was commending the Virginia State Police and the Virginia National Guard for their assistance on January 6th. Now, here's the problem I have with this. 
If you want to honor the state police or the Virginia National Guard for their assistance, I have no problem with that. Uh, they do a very, very hard, difficult job, and they do it very well. And they're not partisan. They're not political. They are, they are there to be public servants, and they do their job to the best ability, to the best of their ability, and I think they do a very good job. What was so frustrating about this is that it became so apparent, so obvious, that Delegate Helmer was attempting to use us and attempting to use the Virginia State Police and the Virginia National Guard as a political prop to push his agenda. How do we know this to be true? Well, Delegate Dan Helmer is one of the many Democrats that was trashing the police all through the summer of 2020, right? He, he actually brought legislation and Delegate Todd Gilbert, uh, the Republican minority leader, did a great job of pointing this out after the uh, Senator Al presentation. So the state police and, and the Virginia National Guard, they essentially have to show up for this. A Senator Isle presentation as Dan Helmer makes it highly partisan and highly political. And I don't mean partisan and political as honoring police and, and National Guardsmen that assisted with the Capitol. There's nothing wrong with that in my opinion, okay? But it was about this idea that he made it, again, hyper-partisan. And this is the same delegate, and Delegate Todd Gilbert pointed this out. He's, he's now praising the police, praising the National Guard, and Delegate Todd Gilbert points out, you know what they used in order to break up the riots? They used tear gas. And which delegate was it that showed up last session to prevent law enforcement or anybody else from being able to use tear gas? It was Delegate Dan Helmer. In fact, he had a whole list of things that he didn't want the police to have access to or to be able to use because in his opinion, it was being used inappropriately and maliciously against American citizens. Okay, but now, but now that the Democrats are in so much trouble for the crime spree that we see happen all over the country, for their continually running down the police and treating them like garbage, now he wants to use them as a political prop for himself during a political campaign, during a season, because we have elections this year in Virginia, right? And we saw Democrats, we saw other Democrats getting up talking about how much they love the police and how important it is that they get the proper funding, really. Really, these are the same Democrats that were doing that. And now, again, where do they find the police useful? As a political prop. And that part was insulting. It wasn't, it wasn't about honoring the, the state police or the National Guard. Again, they do a great job. I support them. And even if you wanted to honor them with respect to the difficulty of their situation on January 6th, I completely understand that. You, you know what was lacking from the committee resolution? The same people that had to come and help in cities that were burning all over this country. Because there's absolutely zero distinction made between someone that peacefully protests and rioters when it suits the Democrat narrative. And, and what's so troubling about this, the most troubling thing is, again, using men and women in uniform as a political prop. The other thing that's troubling about this is the blatant partisan nature of what he did with respect to that invitation. Because ultimately, I don't think this was about honoring anybody except himself. And what he's done is he's created a situation where now when anybody's invited for a central aisle, center aisle presentation, we all have got to be wondering, are, are, we about, are we being set up? Are we being set up for one person to give their entire narrative on something? And that's exactly what he did. So I guess in the future, we can all expect that when someone has a center aisle presentation, it won't be about something that we can unify around. It won't be about something. It won't be about recognizing the sacrifice someone has made for Virginia. No, now it's going to be used as a political ploy during an election season. So good job, Delegate Helmer, way to go. There was a way you could have done that. There was a way you could have done that with January 6th that would have recognized their sacrifice and their devotion. But you chose not to do that because you were more important than they were. And that is so typical. It is, it is especially typical of Delegate Dan Helmer. Wouldn't it be the first time he's done something like this? And it was incredibly frustrating. Let's move on to the next point. Because shortly after this, 
Delegate Glenn Davis from Virginia, Republican from Virginia Beach, he gets up and it turns out that there was a committing resolution. And what was this committing resolution for? It was for the Virginia School Board, Virginia Beach School Board. Now you think to yourself, what could possibly be wrong for that? And Delegate Glenn Davis even said, there's a number of reasons why we could be honoring the Virginia Beach School Board with respect to how well the school system does in that particular area, how well it's ranked, uh, the difficulty that they've had with uh, overcoming COVID and trying to get everyone a quality education. Gl Delegate Glenn Davis said, those are a number of things that we could honor the Virginia Beach School Board on. But what was Delegate Converse Fowler honoring them for? Well, how good that they've implemented the various equity training that they're now requiring. This is everything from 1619 Project stuff to critical race theory. And Delegate Glenn Davis did an excellent job of reading off specific comments that were made in the various seminars as a result of this equity training. And you guessed it, it was all based off of the idea that if your skin color happens to have a certain hue, well then clearly you're an oppressor or clearly you're uniquely privileged, right? It was once again fostering this idea that everything within society is ultimately rooted in your race. And, and Glenn Davis said, I don't think this is an appropriate thing to be, if, if we're gonna recognize the Virginia Beach School Board, let's focus on the things that we can unify around. Why are we focused on the most controversial things that we all have issues with, that a lot of our parents have issues with, that a lot of our teachers have issue with? And was what was Delegate Converse Fowler's response? Why are you making this political? Give me a break. And Delegate Don Scott jumped up right after that saying, oh, you're making an issue out of nothing. You know, this is so typical. The Democrats will do something which is completely beyond the norm. They will, they will insert their particular ideology and, and politics into everything from curriculum to training for teachers. And then when we notice it, we're the ones being political. You know what it reminds me of? If you've ever seen the movie Casablanca, Whereas the French police officer running around the bar saying, I cannot believe there is gambling going on here. Right after someone comes up and goes, you're winning, sir. Yeah, if you want to take the politics out of education, I got a great way to do that. How about we have dollars follow students? How about we allow for some educational choice? Then Democrats aren't deciding what the curriculum are, and we're not deciding what the curriculum is. That can actually be left to parents, students, and teachers. But no, 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 they don't want that. They want to control the system, then they want to infuse their ideology into it. And the moment we notice it, we're being political. What a joke. And th this leads me to the next thing I want to talk about, and that has to do with the, the mask mandates that we're now seeing in school. Because Governor Northam came down and he referenced a particular bill that was passed last year, and he, and he, he uh, specifically referenced the Senate version of the bill, which was carried by Republican uh, uh, Dr. Saban Donovan and said that because in that bill it talks about complying with CDC mandates as long as it is practicable to do it, Governor Northam comes and says any school board in Virginia which does not require masks as a precondition of your child going to school can face legal consequences as a result. Right? Is that because that's a proper legal interpretation of what the bill says? No. I mean, Senator Saban Denevin certainly doesn't think it's a proper um, legal interpretation, but it doesn't matter because now school boards are terrified that they're going to face legal action, which they can't afford if they don't comply with the governor's latest mandate. And that's what it is. It's the governor's mandate. Don't let him fool you into believing that he's just simply complying with Virginia law. That is not what's going on here. Because if we're actually following the science with respect to masks in schools, here's the debate. Here's the argument we would be having. We would be sitting down and we would actually be doing cost-benefit analysis based off of scientific research. And here's what we know about COVID, that largely it's aerosol. 
So you, you can make an argument that a mask might help in limited circumstances with respect to droplets. It helps far less when we're talking about aerosol. Unless, of course, you're wearing a mask specifically designed for that purpose and regularly changing out that mask. You think that's what's going to be going on in Virginia public schools? No. Kids are going to be showing up with a cloth mask, trying to learn, trying to listen to their teacher who's also speaking through a cloth mask, even though that we know that schools are not a major uh, transmission point. Right? Show me the study where, it, where I want to see a study. I would love to see a study from the CDC and preferably multiple studies, which demonstrates the overall efficacy of students, younger people, who, who are already not within the major threat category. I'm not saying that they can't be exposed to it. I'm not saying that there can't be consequences to them receiving COVID. I'm saying that as we look at the studies, as we look at the results from the whole last year, what we see is younger people are nowhere near in the same amount of threat if they don't have comorbidities as older people are. And in fact, there, there's, a whole, there's a whole article that we put out on eight different things that students are more likely to be in danger of than COVID. Now, you can say, okay, all that being true, we still want to use masks as an extra precaution. Okay, great, make that argument. But the argument that's actually being made is that if you don't want your kid to wear a mask in school because you think it is detrimental to them, either socially, educationally, or maybe even health-wise, depending on what sort of uh, symptoms they might have, well, then you're a bad person that wants people to die. Right? But that's not the reality. The reality is, is that there is cost-benefit analysis to wearing masks in a school environment, in an educational environment. For instance, if a student wears glasses and they're wearing a mask and every time they breathe, it flogs up their glasses, that interrupts with their learning. If they can't hear what the teacher's saying, that interrupts with their learning. If you have a teacher that has to spend most of her day explaining to a seven-year-old why they've got to keep their mask on the entire time as she's trying to educate them, that interrupts learning. And I think, I would hope we would all agree, we've had a lot of interruptions of learning over the last year. And so doing a, a scientific cost-benefit analysis on whether or not this is truly the best course of action would be perfectly appropriate, but no, no, no. We're just treated to do what we say or you're a bad person. Do what we say or we will punish you. And if you ask for additional information, or if you say maybe this is a decision best left up to individual teachers or parents, or, or at the very least, best left up to school boards, no, 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 you're a bad person that wants people to die. And the real question that school boards are having to face in Virginia right now, and I assume all over the country, this isn't just a question of whether or not you'll wear masks or not wear masks. This is a question of whether or not your child will be denied a public education if they don't wear a mask. Maybe they have some sort of other medical condition that makes them wearing a mask all day, you know, uh, detrimental to their health compared to what the mask does versus what being exposed to, potentially being exposed to COVID does. Right, but we're not allowed to have that conversation because science. This is the part where we get a little bit skeptical. It's when people are constantly cooking the books or doing a narrative in such a way as to benefit their already predetermined policy position. That's not science. That is bias confirmation. And that's what we're seeing right now. And I have a lot of parents asking me, what's the solution to this? Well, I will tell you, definitely show up to your school board meeting. Definitely show up to your school board meeting. Let your concerns be heard. But by the same token, and I'm just going to be brutally honest here, the mask mandates in schools is actually one of the least offensive things that they're doing right now within public schools, at least within the Commonwealth of Virginia. Because the sort of ideology that they are pushing and, and the way that they are trying to train teachers to teach your children to look through every subject that they teach through the prism of critical race theory, 
I think is far more detrimental to even forcing kids to wear a mask. And so we have to ask ourselves a question right now because the Democrats are absolutely emphatic. They are going to, they want a system where they control your child's education. And they're going to do it one way or another. And the moment you have any problem with it, you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're uninformed, you're unscientific, you're an anti-vaxxer, whatever it is. And so, parents, it is time to start looking for alternatives to public education. I wish that wasn't the reality, but it is the reality. And I realize that there are some parents that cannot afford that. But for all the parents out there that think that this might be the time where they either look at things like homeschooling or learning pods or private school or other educational opportunities, many of which became far more prevalent during COVID when all the public schools were locked down, you're going to have to continue to look at it for this school year as well, unfortunately. Again, I, I well, <laughs> I think it's fortunately because I do think we need more educational opportunities. And the Democrats have made it painfully clear that A, they want to control your education. And anytime they want to push your ideology and you bring it up to them that you don't like it, you're the one being political, not them. And that is something we should be frustrated about. That is something that we should be furious about. Because it's no longer about a discussion. Last podcast, we talked about a parent that got up there and talked about what was going on with critical race theory and a school board member coming down and taking the mic away from her. You will be made to care. You will be made to do what they want you to do. And what I find so fascinating about this is when you look at critical race theory, what's this, what is that really a study of? Well, it's a study of power structures. Now, they have a lot of prescriptions in there that I completely disagree with. If it was simply a theory about investigating power structures and how it might have affected people based off of race, I wouldn't have nearly the problem that I do with it right now. But that's not how it's put forward. It's put forward as if this is fact, this is reality, and your students can't avoid it, and so they must be trained to think differently. And so now your teachers must be trained to teach differently. Now, and if they don't, and if you're not willing to accept that, and you can't afford an alternative to the public school that your child is required to attend by law if you can't afford an alternative, then you're just stuck with it. So here's my question. Within the system I've just described, who's the oppressor and who's the oppressed? It is, is the oppressor, the person saying, I have a problem with this curriculum, is the oppressor, the person saying, I have a problem with my teachers being required to go through this training, which I think is counterproductive. Is the oppressor the parent that just says, hey, look, I want an alternative, or maybe, it's, or, or maybe a parent that just says, look, before we get into all this other stuff, I would really like it if we could just ensure that my child knew how to read, write, and do math. Is that the oppressor? Or is the oppressor the politicians telling you that this is what you get, this is how your tax dollars will be spent, and if you don't like it, go somewhere else? Because I think that is a very interesting question to ask in this whole oppressor-oppressed dynamic that they keep wanting to push to all of us. And then finally, the last thing I want to talk about is, is the budget. Because this is certainly going to come up as well. When, when we went into session, Democrats told us that there would be no amendments. They didn't want any input from anybody, at least of all Republicans. And we had our, our two members of the what we call the uh, Committee of Conference on the Budget come forward, and they fought for things like uh, increase, they fought for bonuses for sheriff's deputies because in the original budget, there was nothing for sheriff's deputies. They fought for that. They fought for some other things on, on criminal justice. Um, they, they, they fought for a variety of things that we had prioritized that the Democrats had taken out. And they managed to get some of it in, not everything we wanted. But whereas Democrats had originally said, you're not getting anything for sheriff's deputies, 
our Republican members fought to get sheriff's deputies an additional bonus payment. They didn't get everything they wanted, they got some of it. And what happened when they got it? Democrats stood up on the floor and said, oh look, this budget is taking care of our men and women in blue. They didn't have it and they had it for state police. They didn't have it for sheriff's deputies. But now they want to take credit for it. So the, the problem that I have with this is that I, I do think that people tried to make it better, but ultimately what this was was over about $4 billion of federal dollars that came in that, that quite frankly, it, this was not tax revenue that came in as a result of a booming economy. This was additional federal debt and inflationary monetary policy. It was the Federal Reserve just printing out dollars so Joe Biden could hand all this money over to state legislatures to spend. And so there, there's, there's two arguments. If you believe the money should be spent, then the Republican package that was put forward was far better. Because one of the other things they put in the Democrat package was essentially a billion dollar slush fund or about a billion dollar slush fund for the governor to spend. And they had to work to get parameters on that so the governor couldn't just hand out monies to those districts that needed it the most in order for his party to stay in power. But wait, we'll see how that actually goes. But the other argument that I would make, and this is, the, this is a far less popular argument to make, but I'm going to make it anyways because I think it is relevant. I have so many of my constituents asking, when are we going to get spending under control? And you want to know what makes getting spending under control very, very difficult? When the federal government prints a bunch of money, takes out a bunch of debt, and then gives it to state legislatures and dares them not to spend it. Or creates this sort of environment where they've got to spend it in certain ways and they better spend it quick. That's what's so frustrating about this, is that we are going to see more inflation in this country. And who does inflation hit the hardest? Because it isn't rich people. It, it isn't the people with the political connections. It isn't the people that know how to play the stock market correctly during an inflationary economy. The people that get hit the most through inflation are people on a fixed income, people on Social Security, people that need their dollar to have the same purchasing power yesterday or tomorrow that it had yesterday. They're the ones that are ultimately going to get hurt by this. And so, yep, Democrats are going to go out there and brag about how much money they spent with zero concern for how this actually inf uh, affects inflation. And that's why I had to vote no on it, because I'm not playing that game. If the government wants to spend money, then it needs to at least do it the right way. And the right way is you collect money through taxes, and then you only spend the money you collect on things that are legitimate functions of government, not every goodie bag to every constituent that you want to get all warmed up right before the next election cycle. And, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just not willing to play this game. And if, if that means that my constituents no longer want me representing them, I am willing to accept that. But I am not willing to accept that I'm going to tell my constituents one thing when I'm running for office and then go down to Richmond and do something entirely different because there's a lot of political pressure to do it. Uh, again, a lot of my colleagues, they, they fought really hard to get this budget into a place where it would be better and it would help the people that truly needed it. And I, I completely understand that. But I wanted to explain why so many of us voted no, and that's why is we've got a problem with this type of spending and this sort of fiscal and monetary policy out of Washington, D.C., because ultimately we think it does a lot of damage to our economy and it does a lot of damage to the people that cannot afford it. So let's wrap all of this up real quick. You look at what's going on in Virginia right now. You look at what just happened in the House of Delegates today. Everything from what Delegate Helmer did where, again, I believe he used men and women in uniform as a political prop for his own agenda. He could have done this in such a way where we all could have gotten behind it. He chose not to, and he did it deliberately. You have Delegate Converse Fowler doing a committing resolution for the Virginia Beach School Board. Could have done it in a way that we all could have agreed with. 
But nope, chose to make it overtly political. And then when we called it out for being overtly political, and when we called out the contradictions of someone saying that you praise law enforcement now when it's convenient for you, when you know that you're hurting in the polls, but you didn't have their back when they actually needed you, what happens? Delegate Don Scott gets up and says, we're making an issue out of nothing. He is shocked, shocked to find out that there is politics going on here. It is infuriating. It is absolutely infuriating, but that is what's going on in the Virginia General Assembly right now, and I'm willing to bet it's going on in other state legislatures as well. And so we're going to have some really difficult decisions coming up. A lot of our school boards are going to have difficult decisions coming up because they are trying to do what's best for their locality. And right now they're living under the threat of this government or this governor suggesting that there's going to be legal repercussions if they do what their constituents elected them to do. Now, is that threat based off of his keen legal analysis of a bill? No, it's him hiding behind that bill in order to do what he actually wants and to take decisions out of the hands of your local elected representatives and certainly taking the decision out of your hands as a parent. And we need to fight back against that because in so many of these areas, the solution is actually fairly simple from a policy perspective. You really want to get politics out of education like Delegate Converse Fowler said she did? will then allow for greater parental choice within our education. Do they want that? No. In fact, they vote against it every single time it has come up in the Virginia House of Delegates. Every single time we try to give parents more control. Every single time we try to give teachers more control. Nope. They want it in their hands. And the moment you point out that you don't like what they're doing, you're playing politics, not them. So quite frankly, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Now, what can you do about it? Now, obviously, there's a lot of things with elections and everything else that you can do to get out there and make your voice be heard within the political spectrum. But I will tell you right now, with respect to education, one of the most powerful statements you can send right now is that if you are in a position to provide alternatives for your child's education, you should do it. Because that might send the, most strong, that might send the strongest possible signal you possibly can that you don't like what the government is doing with your child's education because that's who it belongs to. It belongs to you, it belongs to your child. It doesn't belong to Richmond, it doesn't belong to the teachers union, it doesn't belong to Washington DC, and it doesn't belong to the people making millions of dollars peddling critical race theory on our teachers and our kids. But if, it, if it's going to be simply, what is, some, what is a legislator gonna do about it? You have already surrendered. You've already surrendered the most powerful tool that you have and that is to vote with your feet. And I will tell you right now, anybody in my district, if you are looking for alternatives right now where you don't have to put up with the politicalization of your child's curriculum, where you don't have to put up with mandates coming down from this governor, I will help you. Reach out to my office. There are alternatives and you would be shocked at how affordable they are. Because I want to put control back in the hands of parents. And quite frankly, back in the hands of teachers that want to be able to teach kids in their classroom without having to constantly worry about the next mandate that's gonna come down from Washington DC or Richmond. But that's what we're gonna to have to do. We are going to have to stop asking for permission or waiting around for the next election cycle to take action. We're going to have to do it right now for the benefit of our kids and for the benefit of our Commonwealth. So I encourage you, leave us comments, let us know what you think about all this, and we'll continue to keep you updated on what's going on within the special session. We'll continue to keep you updated about what's taking place, the things that you probably won't see on any sort of news report because most media outlets and most newspapers are simply not going to do their job. So I'm happy to let you know a different perspective. I'm not claiming mine as the entire perspective. I'm not claiming my perspective as comprehensive, but I am sitting right there watching what's going on. And I will tell you right now, it is frustrating as hell because we don't have the votes to change it. 
but I'm not going to let not having the votes to change it keep us from being able to speak out about it and provide you with alternatives in order to make your voice be heard and to get your kids the education that they need and to fight back the sort of policies that we're seeing coming out of Richmond. Thank you very much for joining us on Making the Argument today. We'll see you next episode. Remember, to we're on YouTube, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts. Um, if you think you've got people, if you've got friends that they need to see what's going on, maybe you're looking at going to a school board right now and you want to know more about what's happening in Richmond and what's being said when you're not seeing it. If you want to know the things that the, the press will not report on, all right, share this and let us know what your thoughts are. Once again, thank you very much for joining us on Making the Argument. We'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.